Today's scripture reading comes from John 11, 17 through 27. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for, tomb, in the tomb for days. Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So I want to talk about three things today. I want to talk about the big problem that we all face. I want to talk about the big promise that Jesus makes. And I want to talk about the big question we need to answer. So those three things, the big problem, the big promise, the big question. Um, before we get into that, let's, let's pause and pray again. Father, I ask that today as we look to your word that the seeds of your truth would be planted deeply within us, that they would find good soil and that they would take root and grow and that your word would bear fruit that would lead to eternal life. Amen. Okay, the big problem. We, we are studying the I am sayings of Jesus that you find in the Gospel of John. These are those places in John's Gospel where Jesus makes these bold, definitive statements about himself. And the I am saying that we're looking at today was, is one that was spoken on a very, very sad occasion. A close friend of Jesus, a man named Lazarus, had died. Earlier in this chapter, the sisters of Lazarus, these two women named Martha and Mary, they had sent word to Jesus to inform him that their brother was sick. But Jesus took a little bit longer coming to them than apparently they had hoped. And by the time he finally arrived um, in the hometown of Bethany, Lazarus had already passed away. Verse 17 says, now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Um, his heart had stopped beating. His breathing had ceased. The warmth had dissipated from his body. They had prepared him for burial. All the funeral speeches and prayers were done and over. And Lazarus, this person Jesus loved, had been in the tomb for four days. 
the problem we face is that what happened to Lazarus will happen to us. It's a somber thought, but I mean, you can't get away from it because you know, you know it's true. Unless, guys, unless we happen to be uh, among the last generation of believers who are alive when Christ returned, you, you know, other than that, every person in this room will someday die. Even the baby crying right now. We don't know, we don't know when it'll happen. We don't know how it'll happen, but you, we're just sure it, it will happen. It will happen, and that's, that's the big problem. Problem isn't even, a, problem isn't even a, a deep enough word to describe it, is it? The Apostle Paul, he referred to death as the final enemy. He says it's our enemy, the last one we'll face. Prophet Isaiah, he, he called death the shroud, the sheet that covers all the nations of the world. No one is exempt from this. And so I, I know that, listen, this is uncomfortable. You know, 150 years ago in, in, in pulpits, people weren't afraid to talk about death. You, could, you just couldn't talk about sex. Everybody would get upset. Today you can talk about sex, but you just, we don't talk about death anymore. It embarrasses us. Or it scares us. We don't like to think about it. But it is, it is the one reality we all have to deal with. Even Lazarus, this man loved by Jesus. Now, it, from what we can discern about Lazarus from the, from the Bible, he appears to have been a person who was really flourishing in life. In fact, he, he appears to have been someone who enjoyed many of the things that you and I are looking for in, in life. For example, he see, Lazarus seems to have come from a very close family. You, you read of the love that his sisters Martha and Mary had for him. He lived among his family. They loved him. So he came from a close family. Apparently, it was also a very affluent family. There are places in, in, in the Gospels where you read that um, the home that they lived in was large enough for them to entertain Jesus and all of his disciples, and they had enough resources to just feed everybody. Early in this chapter, you read that Mary, on one occasion, anointed the feet of Jesus with very, very costly perfume. So he came from a close family, a wealthy family. And you can also see here that Lazarus seems to have been very popular, somebody um, admired and respected by his peers. Verse 19 says, many of the Jews had come from Jerusalem to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Many, many people gathered to weep when Lazarus died. He was respected by his peers. So this is who we're talking about. This is, this is a man from a close family, a man with a nice home, a man with plenty of money, a man who was respected by his peers. You know, to, you know what today we would say about Lazarus? We would say Lazarus had the American dream. But when his heart stopped beating, none of that mattered. None of it mattered. I mean, death is just like that big problem that just cancels out every other concern or worry you might have right now. It just doesn't matter compared to that. And here's what makes the problem even bigger. The Bible tells us throughout that death, guys, is not the end of our existence. When our bodies die, our souls live on. They live on, the Bible says, to face God's judgment. 
Those who in the judgment are found to be righteous, meaning they have a right relationship with God, they will be welcomed into, into an experience of everlasting, never-ending life. But those who are found not to have a right relationship with God, they will begin to experience um, an existence of just never-ending sadness. Loneliness. That's what the Bible says. He, Hebrews 9.27 says people are destined to die once and then face judgment. And I don't know if you believe that or not. I can't make you believe it. But listen, would you at least agree with me that if that's true, like if this short life is the one and only chance we have to get things right with God before eternity, would you, would you agree with me that... Um, the fact of your impending death is more important than, you know, whether you got an A on a test last week. Or whether you have the job of your dreams right now. Or whether you've, 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 you've met the love of your life. I mean, it's just, it just wipes out every other question we might have. It's the big problem. Lazarus, for all his human flourishing, could not escape it. And neither will you and neither will I. So that's the big problem. Now, in the light of that problem, Jesus makes a big promise. It is an enormous promise. Um, let me read for us again, starting at verse 20. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he or she die, yet he or she will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, a little, a little background for the context. Most most Jews in first century Israel, in, in the time of Christ, most of them believed that at the end of time, on the last day, God will make everything in this world new. He will make this world perfect. And he will raise all of his people from the dead. And he will invite them to live in this new world forever. That's what most Jews believe. That's what Jesus believed. That's what Jesus taught you find that in the Bible. Now, they, they referred to that coming event. They referred to that as, that as the resurrection. And the main concern they had in life, at least those of them who took life seriously, the main concern they had was somehow, someday, to be acceptable enough in the eyes of God to be included in the resurrection. And you know what Jesus said? He said, you want to be raised from the dead? You want to live in the world, new world? You want to be included in the resurrection? He said, I am the resurrection. I am. You want, the, you, you want those things? He said, you just come to me. I am the resurrection and the life. He said, whoever believes in me. And that word whoever, that's a big word, man. Whoever, that just means anyone. Everyone who comes to him, whoever believes in me, he said, though they die, yet they shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So that's Christ's promise. 
I didn't make it up. The church didn't invent it. Jesus promised this. Jesus promised an eternal life in an embodied existence in a new world forever for anyone and everyone who trusts in him. And he declared, listen, he declared that even death itself cannot keep him from giving us what he's promised. That's his promise. Now, a, a good question, if you're taking this seriously, good question to ask is, hey, hey, wait a minute, that's quite a promise. Does the Bible give us any kind of proof that Jesus is actually able to deliver on that promise? And the answer to that is, yes, it does. Now, some of you probably know, if you've, if you've read this chapter before, that at the end, at the end of uh, later in, in John chapter 11, Jesus does this a crazy, amazing miracle. He actually raises this man, Lazarus, from the dead, restores him to life. That's that's not the main proof the Bible gives us that Jesus will someday raise from the dead all those who trusted him. The main proof the Bible gives us that Jesus will someday raise from the dead all those who trust in him is that three days after Jesus died on the cross, he himself was in the tomb. And he just stood up and walked out. He defeated death. Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says, as an atonement for sin, meaning for those who trust him, you know what his death does for you? His death makes you right with God. And then three days after dying, Jesus conquered death forever. And the Bible says that's the proof God gives you that someday he will raise you, believer. He will raise you as well. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, like if you've come to Christ and the Holy Spirit is in you, it says if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So that's, that's the promise. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. Which you know what that means? For all those who trust in him, even if you, listen, listen, even if you like, you feel maybe like the worst Christian in the world. You ever feel like that? Like, I've got to be, you know, near the bottom of the list at least because I just feel like I keep messing up. You know what Jesus promised? He said that you have come to him and you have come to life itself. And you never, ever need to fear the grave or the judgment after the grave, ever. That's his promise to you. Now, we don't make fun of people who get anxious at the thought of death. I mean, I wouldn't condemn anyone for feeling some fear or apprehension about death. That's pretty human emotion, right? But isn't it great, believer, to know that, you know, behind that anxiety, you've got nothing to fear. You've got nothing, nothing to fear. If you've come to Christ, listen, your sins are forgiven. Your future is secure. That's the promise Jesus makes. So the big problem, the big Big promise. And then finally, there's the big question. Now, the pro did you notice the promise isn't made for every, anyone and everyone in the world? The promise is made for whom? For those who believe. And so the question that Jesus asked Martha, end of verse 26, is, Martha, do you believe? Do you believe this? Now, as I was studying this passage this week, it just kind of struck me as strange that Jesus would ask that question of Martha. I mean, 
After all, verse 20 says that when Jesus came to the, this little town of Bethany, he's on the outskirts of town. Mary and everyone else, they just stayed in the house. Like, don't worry, he'll get here sooner or later. You know, they just stayed in the house. But Martha, it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. She got up, she left her home, she went looking for Jesus. You know, in other words, just like us, we got up out of our homes, we came to this place, this church, looking for Jesus. Martha was just like that. She's not home in bed like Mary. No, she got up and went looking for him. And, and uh, you, you'll also notice here that when Martha saw Jesus, verse 21 says she called him what? She called him Lord. The word she used to describe Jesus was Lord. So again, just like us, like us in our songs today, as we've been praising Christ, she addressed Jesus with words of devotion and praise. And you'll, you'll also notice that Martha apparently was somebody who had adhered to solid orthodox Biblical doctrine. Her theology was right. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she just launches into the creed, recites the right answer. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So her, her theology was good, man. Her doctrine was right where it's supposed to be. So that's who Martha was. She was somebody who went to the right place, said the right words, espoused the right doctrine. And Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, do you believe? I had a, I had a, a professor in seminary who gave us some advice. He said, he said when newcomers uh, are, a newcomer is at your church, you're meeting someone for the very first time. He said, that's, that's the opportunity to ask them, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Because if you wait six months later and they've been coming every Sunday and singing, you say, oh, are you a believer? You know, they're going to get offended. Why are, you, why are you asking me that question? I come here every Sunday, right? So, but, but Martha, I wonder if she was offended by this. What do you mean do I believe? I'm the only one who came out to see you. I'm the one who calls you Lord. I'm the one that can recite the creed. What are you talking about do I believe? Why does Jesus ask Martha this question? Apparently, because believing in Jesus must mean something more than just going to the right place and saying the right words. I mean, if you think about it, there are hundreds of thousands of people all across this country today who, in, in churches like us, they've gone to the right place, they're saying the right words. Apparently, believing in Jesus means more than just that. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? I, I, I would say this. Believing in Jesus means, I'll just say these three things. Acknowledging that he is who he claims to be. Rejoicing that he is who he claims to be. And then just trusting him. That's it. It's, we don't want to overcomplicate this. We don't want to overthink it. It's just acknowledging Jesus is who he claimed to be. Rejoicing. I'm so happy he is who he claimed to be. And then just trusting. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all together. I still got a lot of issues. But I'm trusting Jesus. So I think that's what Jesus was asking Martha. Martha, I'm so happy you were the first one to meet me. I'm so glad to hear you call me Lord. That's nice. 
I'm, I'm happy how you can recite the answer to the catechism about the resurrection. That's good, too. But Martha, are you trusting me? Just trusting me. That's all I want. Are you trusting me? Do you believe? I, I have the sense that if Jesus were here, that, that's a very, listen, it's the same question he would ask you. Not, hey, did you read your Bible this week? How many Bible verses can you recite? Were you here in time to have Pastor Jeffrey open the door so we could all come in together, you know, like we're doing? Hey, you come to church on time? No. He'd say, I want to know if you're trusting me. Have you done that? Have you placed your trust in me? Now, I'm happy by Martha's answer. Are you happy by her answer? I kind of think this is her, this is her moment. If it hadn't happened before, this is her moment of coming to faith. This is what she says. Jesus says to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? And she says the word, the one word that I'm hoping you're saying. She says, yes. Yes. I, I had the privilege of growing up in, in a, a home with Christian parents, and my mother told me um, the moment when she thinks was the moment that she was converted and born again and came to faith in Christ. And her, it happened like this. She's, um, she grew up in a Christian home. She's a little kid, like four or five years old, six years old. And um, the pastor of their church came over to visit the parents, all right? She says, pastors do. You know, they're always poking their nose in your business. He came over to, to visit them and spend some time. And, and, and like any little child, she was completely uninterested in an adult conversation. So she was off in another room playing while the adults were talking. But when the pastor was going to leave, and uh, my, her mom, my grandmother, was exiting him to the door, my mom, this little girl, ran up to the door to say goodbye. And the pastor looked at this little girl and said, Shirley, that's her name, Shirley, have you ever trusted Jesus to be your Savior? And she knew that she never had. The pastor said, Shirley, have you trusted Jesus to be your Savior? And she looked at him and said, yes. And she felt that in her heart she was just saying that to Jesus. And then he must have thought she was a really weird kid because she was so overwhelmed with emotion. And when she said yes, she turned, ran to her room, buried her face in, in her pillow and just started sobbing, tears of joy. Because why? She had said yes to Jesus. And it's as simple as that.